It's time for the Contempo Coding Podcast. Discussions, knowledge, and insight to help you succeed in the medical coding industry. And now, here's your host, Victoria. Hey there, coding crew. It is Friday, and it is time to end this week, boom, with a bang. Welcome to the Contempo Coding Podcast. This is actually my first episode that we are recording. And if you're not familiar with me, my name is Victoria Mull. I'm a medical coder, medical auditor, educator. I've been frequently published in Healthcare Business Monthly. I've spoken at several coding conferences, and I just love to share all of the knowledge that I have as much as I can with others in the coding community. I imagine that some of you are probably here because you follow my YouTube channel, Contempo Coding. If you are not currently subscribed to my YouTube channel, you definitely have to check it out. It is very visual, very friendly, and I like to make it feel like you and I are having a conversation. Like I've invited you into my office and we're having this little consultation, like I'm your coding buddy. I don't ever want to feel like everyone is my student, like you're my student and you don't know anything and pay attention and pay if it's open on opera that's not really my style I'm just here to share share the wealth and and try and make it as upbeat and uh, inviting as I possibly can considering we are dealing with a lot of dry material in medical coding oftentimes I start out talking about how I became a medical coder and I love my story I love my how I became a medical coder story and it's so um inviting I think and and raw and speaks to a lot of people but today I thought I'd do something different because I've already told my how I became a coder story a couple of times on different podcasts so today I thought it might be fun to tell the story about how I became actually a medical auditor so way back when I first became a medical coder in 2008 there weren't a ton of other credentials I remember there was the CPC I mean that's been around for forever and the outpatient coding back then was called the CPCH CPC hospital and I think they had some specialty credentials at that point I'd been encoding for maybe a year or two when the CPMA, the Certified Professional Medical Auditor credential, had first come out. And I saw the advertisement for it, I think in Healthcare Business Monthly, and I was so excited, I went and showed my boss, and I went, oh my gosh, look, they're making an auditing credential. I'm like, that's it, that's what I wanna do next. I'm going to go out and become a medical auditor. I think I'd really like to do auditing. So. I tested for the uh, medical auditor credential pretty early on, so I sat that in my back pocket. You know, when you get these new credentials, it doesn't mean you're automatically going to, you know, accelerate to the next career step or that they're just going to go, oh, okay, you're an auditor. Now you have your credential and someone's going to hand you an auditing uh, job on a silver platter. It doesn't, it doesn't always work that way. I mean, I guess maybe for a lucky few it does, but it didn't for me. And, you know, I got questioned by people like, why did you do that? Like, are they are they paying you extra? And I'd go, well, no. And they go, well, I don't understand then why you're why you're wasting your time. So I was working um, as a certified auditor, but working as a coder for a period of time. And, you know, I was one of those people that, you know, I, I, I'm <laughs> I'm a little moody sometimes. And I'm just I'm just an odd bird in some certain fashions. I just because. I mean, look at me now. I'm doing a podcast. I have a YouTube channel. So yes, I work in the medical coding realm, but I do like 
different stuff in the medical coding realm. And that's that's hard for people to understand, especially when you've only you're just still getting your feet wet and just still learning your specialties, um, and you haven't really climbed the ranks yet. But in any case, I had had, I guess, a bad day at work or something and had just kind of hit my limit and started just out of almost frustration applying for jobs at other facilities and other locations. And I found a job that was for a senior coding specialist at a location that was actually about an hour's drive from me. But I figured, you know, I'll, I'll put in for it. It seems like a, a good opportunity. You know, if they're going to pay me enough, maybe it'll be worth the hour commute. We'll take a, take a stab. And pretty shortly after, I got a call from a recruiter to schedule something. And a little bit of backstory, I guess what had happened is this particular position had been posted for a year. And the uh, hiring manager, the director of coding, just didn't really want to fill the position with just anyone. So she was willing to wait and would rather keep it vacant than hire the wrong person into that. So it had been vacant for a a while. But before they decided to bring me into a physical interview, they wanted to have a phone interview. And the times that they had available were kind of inconvenient. And I elected to have it done shortly after I left work, but before I would before I would actually get home because I was at that time, I think I had maybe a 40 minute commute. So I scheduled the phone interview with the recruiter and I finished my work day and I went about halfway home to, to where I knew I could pull over comfortably in order to have this phone uh, interview. So I actually pulled into the parking lot of a Kohl's department store And it was, I think, a hot day, and I had had the windows down, and I think there was even some background noise, but the recruiter started asking me questions about, like, what I do as a coder, and one of the things I really focused on was, like, I said, hey, you know, I I have published articles, I've done review classes, um, and when I find a problem that I'm really struggling with and I kind of finally figure it out like I don't just want to keep that information to myself and I don't just want to share it with my immediate you know department or whatever I want to I want to solve that on a global scale because there's probably coders way beyond where I am that are having that same problem and I would love to to cut down on their frustration and provide a solution and I think that really spoke to him and I wound up finding out that they were at that point looking at, at, at whether or not they were even going to cut that position. But I guess the recruiter liked what I said so much that he went back to the director and was like, look, hey, you just, this, this person's a little bit, a little bit special. So you should probably, like, I know you're thinking about maybe reorganizing something, and, but I really think you should, should interview with this girl. You'll, you'll really like her. So I went in for this interview and it wasn't just the coding director, it was also like physicians and operational uh, leadership. So it was a little bit intimidating, but I handled it pretty well. And they said that they just wanted someone who, you know, could kind of hold their own. And I guess just talking about like what I've done and where I'm planning on going and how I like to problem solve and that I was also going to soon be a speaker at HealthCon. I think at that point I'd already found out that I was going to speak at HealthCon Vegas, but had not yet, uh, the HealthCon hadn't happened quite yet. It was happening, I think, a few months after that. So they, they liked me and they offered me the position. And that's actually how I got my first step up. My first like a, a step above a coder was I was the senior coding specialist. So I didn't manage people at that point, 
but I did I did manage um, just some coding processes, some higher level reviews, and then just also I mean the coding specialist department that I managed was essentially the auditing auditing coders. Like the co- we had uh, uh, three different tiers, like the entry level coders, and then the coding coordinators, and then we had. Uh, the coding specialists, and they were like the auditors educators. So that's what I wound up ultimately managing for a period of time and then kind of decided, you know, you know management's maybe not, not my forte. Not that I can't do it, but there's just other things I think I could better focus on. I think my leadership skills, I have leadership skills, but I just don't think I have the best people management skills like I'm more interested in creating things making presentations doing entertaining you know webinars uh the podcast the YouTube channel and signing off on time cards is not fun (laughs) doing doing FMLA work is not fun having a YouTube channel is fun (laughs) it's okay to be different and there's definitely room in this industry for lots of different people and I think that's why I often don't push people to buy like my risk adjustment course or any of the webinars that I have or or on-demand stuff and I think it's because you know I want people to like me first I want you to get to know me through the podcast and through my YouTube channel and if you like me enough and you like my teaching style enough it'll make a better partnership than when you purchase my materials um, I, I don't want to force someone into purchasing something that if, if my teaching style is not going to be what's going to work for them. So currently I work full time as a medical auditor and I do a lot of social media content creation type stuff and education on the side. One of the reasons that I wanted to transition from doing a YouTube channel to a podcast is first off, podcasts are a little bit easier to create and edit than YouTube channels. So it seemed like, hey, if I can master YouTube and get the video part together, you know, just doing audio, hey, that's that's nothing. Also, when I looked at my analytics from my YouTube channel, I could see that I had a huge, huge audience of women in their 20s and 30s. And by based on the comments that I was getting, the emails, the direct messages, the LinkedIn messages, a lot of these women are moms. Like they're moms that are looking to um, get back into a career after they've had a baby, or maybe their kids are starting to become grown and they're looking for a better career, like a better career opportunity. Or maybe they have been working as like a medical assistant or a medical secretary, and now they're looking to advance and they want to know, like, can I work from home as a medical coder? Will I have more time with my family? So I also want to share just some stories about being a work from home medical auditor and also having to juggle motherhood and all of these additional responsibilities on at, at the same time and especially in this current climate that we've got it's different like i'm used to working from home and i'm used to having a child but i'm not used to my child you know having school at the same time that I'm in the next room doing audits. You know, there's a difference between my kid being at school and then coming home, you know, in the evening, usually when I'm done with work uh, or getting ready for school when I'm doing my work, but it's it's entirely different thing. Like I was not at all prepared that I would be trying to uh, 
navigate a phone call with my boss at the same time that my daughter was having her classroom Zoom meeting and also having to try and wrangle the dog into the picture frame of her webcam while I'm on the phone because it's show and tell time and she wants to show off our new puppy that we got. So that I'm not used to. So this environment has been tough. It's been especially tough. My daughter is eight years old. Her name's Lizzie. She is on the autism spectrum. She's pretty high functioning, like her attention span's not good. Her social skills are uh, rough. She went from being nonverbal to talking nonstop about just the same subject, just endlessly, um, not noticing that you know other people have completely lost interest. So there's a lot of that, but I've been very blessed. I've been very blessed because Lizzie actually has friends. It's been sad because she's lost a lot of social supports in her school, but her friends are still her still out there. She like she is a best friend. She is a best friend that she's had for years. And uh, as things have kind of eased up a little bit, especially in my area, my area is one of the top three states because I'm in Pennsylvania for um, kind of mitigating the coronavirus and keeping the numbers low. We've actually had decreases in cases. So we agreed that Lizzie could have her best friend over because she hadn't seen her since we moved right before the pandemic and she hadn't gotten to see her new room and she'd missed her friends so much. You know, she hadn't seen them in forever and I, I couldn't, I couldn't put her in daycare. Like I just couldn't. I'm just, I, I, the restrictions were like she would have to have a temperature under 99 degrees screened before she was admitted. And I'm like, man, my kid's going to run around in a circle and run a 99 degree temperature and then I'm going to be upset because I'm going to have to pay for daycare that she's not being or or camp care that she's not being admitted into. So in any case she had her best friend come over and it was on a Tuesday so I'm working from home like they're two kids they're they're older like they can entertain themselves I mean they're going to sit down and watch movies and my boyfriend's home at the time he's not doing anything right now he's in between uh, engineering contracts or I shouldn't say in between he's waiting for the final approval on his last contract. So they came over and they said hi to our new puppy and then we locked the new puppy in the uh, basement with my boyfriend and the dog is she's he's a pit bull and getting much better at being well behaved but it's a puppy you know how puppies are they want to jump on everyone and sniff everyone and lick everyone so we made sure that he was downstairs so that he wouldn't jump on you know uh, Lizzie's best friend. So the girls are playing upstairs and they're having a good old time. You know, they dressed up like cats. Like I could see in the corner of my office as they went by, like they put on little cat ears and tails and were crawling downstairs. And I'm like, oh, that's cute. They're having fun. And at the same time, my phone rings and it's the hospital that I work for. And I don't usually get a lot of phone calls. Like it's unusual that I get a phone call, but I was recently talking to one of the girls over in the orthopedic practice. So I thought, oh, well, maybe it's her calling me back about something. And I answered my phone, which is also unusual because my phone's been on silent because I've gotten so many alerts and I'm like Pavlov's dog. If I hear my phone even vibrate, like I'm, I'm conditioned to pick it up and look at it and it's just too much distraction. So I just have it completely on silent now. But in any case, I answered my phone and it was a physician. It was a physician that I had educated um, a couple of months prior and they had a question about something related to billing. So I'm on the phone with the physician and you know we're chit-chatting a little bit, a half of a minute, and all of a sudden I start hearing screaming from downstairs and it's Lizzie's friend. And I'm like, oh my God, this is the worst timing 
humanly possible. So I had to say to my physician, I'm like, could you just hold on for like one second? I have a situation going on here at home. And I put her on mute and I go downstairs and I'm like, what is going on? And my daughter's like, Loki, who's our dog? Loki's attacking her and crying. And I'm like, oh my God, what is wrong with you? Who let the dog out of the basement? She's like, well, I thought my toy was downstairs. And I'm like yelling to my boyfriend, Chuck, get up here. There's kids are going crazy and the dog and I'm on the phone with a freaking physician. Can you help me out here? He was in the bathroom. Like to make matters worse as far as timing goes, like he was he, he, he was in the bathroom at the time. So he comes up, takes care of the situation. Like the dog was, was just like jumping up on her and licking her face. So she, her, her friend's not, not a tall kid. They're in second grade. They're not tall yet. Um, so got him wrangled, came back upstairs. And I'm like, I am so sorry. <laughs> I am so sorry. I just had to take care of something. And then I calmed myself down and dealt with my billing situation. And then I was just like so rattled afterward. And I'm just like, oh my God. I can't even think straight. I know I have to email people and take care of this billing issue. And I can't even think straight because I'm so upset now. I'm just so upset. Like I finally let my kid have a friend come over and five minutes into it, it just all starts crumbling. Um, so when I say that, yes, you, you can work from home, just understand that God, that does not mean that it's going to be easy working from home. It's not, doesn't mean that, you know, under regular circumstances that your child should be at a daycare or a camp or at school, because this is the kind of crazy stuff that goes on. And it's difficult to concentrate when you're working with that kind of situation. You know, thankfully, I'm salaried, so I can just kind of make up whatever time for shenanigans that happens during the day. Um, But for those of you that are looking into getting to medical coding because of working from home, you know, yes, a lot of medical coders work from home. In the past, it's mostly taken a couple of years of getting experience under your belt before you can find a work from home position. That might be a little bit different if you're working currently as like an LPN or something, like they know you've already got a lot of healthcare experience. Um, and But, you know, it's it's hard to say now with this pandemic going on because that could change. I mean, so many people are being promoted to telecommute and work Uh, remotely and people are really changing the environment of how we do things like how we do orientation classes because we don't want to cram you know 30 40 people in a room tightly packed and you know not give them a lot of breaks Um, so there might be a transition like there I, I can't say for sure one suggestion I always make to people who are trying to look into remote coding or into coding positions even in their area is to go on a website like codersdirect.com where they just have job listings for medical coders and take a look like take a look you can narrow your search just by remote positions and you'll see what the requirements are so you know what the current climate is so if there's been changes and that maybe people are saying now like hey we only need you to have your certification and we'll train you remotely like then you'll know like because you'll be looking at current job listings that say that so that's a good trick to kind of look and see what's going on or look at jobs in your area even for coders that are looking to determine like what credential should I get? Do I want to go outpatient, inpatient, or professional? And I have a great YouTube video about that. Definitely check that out if you get a chance on my channel. 
But if you look at what the need is in your area, and it's a lot of inpatient coding, that might seal the deal for you. Then you might decide, hey, I'm, that, that's it. Though. I think I'm going to get into inpatient coding because that's what the big demand is in my area. So that's, that's an area to definitely look at. So I'm going to wrap this up for today. It's time to wind down to the weekend. You guys, we're almost there. But for now, you just keep on coding on. I'll see you soon.